Hello everyone, it's February 19th, 2019. So with the end of the Opportunity Rover's mission made official, we thought it might be a good idea to do a little retrospective on the little rover that could. You will be missed, Oppie, but you had a good run. And liftoff. And we have cleared the tower. Welcome to episode 198 of the Orbital Mechanics Podcast. I'm David. I'm Ben. And I'm Dennis. Well, it was an emotional week for a lot of us. And the the main thing that we're going to be talking about today is opportunity. Yep. Did you guys tune in for the broadcast from JPL? No, I did not actually. I haven't seen that yet. I assume it's on YouTube right now. Yeah, I think I was in class at the time. Yeah, I I watched most of it live. And it was just really, I mean, (laughs) really Mm. powerful. Like all these people telling these stories about, you know, oh, I was in high school when opportunity landed and now you know i'm a team lead you know at the very end it's just like it's really cool the one good thing is that uh from all this is that you know we're not stopping these missions to mars so uh, Mm. we have some really cool ones coming up well and i mean you know we can say one good thing but like in reality like there's so many good things and like even seeing the end of this mission is a good thing because it's so much later than expected, you know, like, right. It's not like this mission was a failure by any means. So right. um, it far exceeded right. the expectations. And then, uh, then I also watched a video of a dog that was found on the street, almost dead and uh, rehabilitated and is now super happy. So that, that was another very emotional thing that happened to me this week. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> You got to watch out what you click on. One YouTube channel that I've never really watched. I mean, I think I'd heard of this guy, but uh, the Brave Wilderness guy, watching him get stung by all and bitten by all these various insects, that's like his thing. Of course, he does other stuff too. That's just mostly to get views. But like, you know, legitimately being stung by every horrible insect you could imagine. And that's, I don't understand how, I mean, good for him, but how does one do that? You know what I mean? Like... I guess that's what it you takes paid to a lot. be successful on the internet. You know, have a like, yeah. good, successful YouTube channel. Yeah. You gotta do yeah. something crazy like that. <laughs> I guess so. It's the weirdest thing. It sounds entertaining, though. Yeah. So that's not nearly as emotional as watching, uh, you know, a dog hit by a car, which is very sad. But I'm glad I had a happy ending. Okay. Anyway, so that's some YouTube talk we had. You know, we, don't, <laughs> we, don't, we don't generally do that. But I guess let's uh, move on to this weekend's spaceflight history. So our clue is Gemini. I recall that. And we have yep. some correct answers. And uh, Ben, you said that I had kind of thrown people off, but I didn't mean yeah. to do that. I just thought it had something well, to do with Gemini. I knew you had uh-huh. no idea what you were doing, but I wasn't going to stop you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we had a couple of wrong answers and a couple of right answers, which makes me think that this is a very good clue. Our winners are James Maxey, Vex Aurora, a, a new name, and Brian Skuzensky, uh, also a new name. Congratulations, folks. This week in Spaceflight History is February 21st, 1964. It was the birth of Scott Kelly. He served on a bunch of different missions that I'm going to run through real quick. Uh, STS-103, uh, which was eight days long. That was also known as Hubble Servicing Mission 3A. He also flew on STS-118. That was 12 days long. He delivered uh, the S-5 truss was the the major uh, goal of that mission. Uh, Then he had two missions uh, where he stayed on ISS. So Expedition 25-26. That was four months. This was also the time when Gabby Giffords got shot. Mm. Like he was halfway through his mission and and his uh, sister-in-law gets shot. Not fatally, thank goodness. He also served on expeditions 43, 44, 45, and 46. This was the quote-unquote 12 uh, or a a year-long mission. It was actually uh, 11 months and four days. 
So mm. um, I remember when he landed, a lot of people were like, well, he wasn't up there for 365 days. It's like, it's so close. close. Just chill. There's logistics. And of course, the, the year, this very long mission saw two huge failures. One is Progress M27M, also known as Progress 59, uh, which uh, failed <laughs> on its way up to orbit. I laugh. It, I, sh- I shouldn't laugh. We also this mission also saw the failure of CRS seven the the dragon explosion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's this week in space flight history. It was the birth of Scott Kelly. It's also the birth of Mark Kelly, uh, Scott Kelly's brother. Uh, actually, is his twin. So Scott's missions went from eight days to twelve days to four months to eleven months and four days in duration. Uh, interestingly, Mark's also increased, but at a much more reasonable rate. So he starts out with STS-108, which was an 11-day mission. It was mostly a Soyu or an ISS uh, resupply, and most people are going to remember this if they remember the um, the debris blocking one of the docking ports that they had to uh, back a progress away and go clear out the debris and then redock the progress. Um, mm. do, you, do you guys remember talking about this? Vaguely, actually. Okay. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> STS-108 was delayed because of that, um, if that helps put things in context. Uh, STS-121 was a 12-day mission. Um, it also was an ISS resupply, um, but... Perhaps more importantly, it was validating post-Columbia safety measures. So STS, I believe it's 114 was the return to flight. STS-121 was the second return to flight or the return to flight plus one. And so they were validating two major safety uh, safety checks. First was uh, using the OBSS, the Orbital Boom Sensor System, which is an extension uh, that the Candarm can pick up and use to wrap all the way around and inspect the heat shield on the belly of the orbiter. They also tested the RPM, the Rendezvous Pitch Maneuver, which is where a shuttle approaches ISS and then does uh, a 360-degree flip in in the pitch axis um, so that ISS or people on the ISS can take photos uh, mm-hmm. of the heat shield and do a nice um, second pair of eyes check kind of thing. And all those photos get sent down to the ground where they get evaluated. Also, interestingly enough, uh, STS-121, since it was the second time that they'd ever flown OBSS, the, the boom, they also decided to go play around with it. And so they demoed using OBSS as an EVA assist, which means that you know you grab it and you mount a person on the end of the OBSS, and then you grab the OBSS with the robotic arm, and it gives you an extension. This was later on used uh, to repair the solar panel that got ripped that they needed to use zip ties basically to put it back together so that that was actually demoed as a possibility before it was used uh in reality or Mm. or by necessity uh then mark flew on sts-124 which is a 13-day mission uh, they delivered the GEM pressurized module as well as the GEM robotic arm. Uh, then was STS-134, which was 15 days. And this is a fun one because it was delayed. If it had flown on its original, uh, the original date that they wanted to launch it, um, he would have been in space during Expedition 26, and he would have actually been the first person to meet a relative in space because Scott Kelly was on ISS at the time. That that would have been pretty cool. 
but it didn't happen. Not only did it not fly when it was originally supposed to, but they actually had a, a an abort on the pad and had to delay it even farther. Uh, Mark Kelly just announced, I think, last week that he is running for U.S. Senate for the 2020 election year. He's from Arizona. Yeah, well, he, he's they're actually well, they're, the brothers are actually both from New Jersey. I don't know about They've the other one. They've been living in Arizona for a while. Right. Okay. I didn't know that both of them were, but I, I know that Mark mm-hmm. Kelly had been. Yeah. Well, f- funny enough, so. I was lucky enough to actually get to meet Gabby Giffords. I sat next to her on a plane. Oh, right. Oh, literally a week and a half before the shooting. Oh, wow. And so, because we were both leaving Tucson together and she, and then we were connecting in Dallas and then she was going to DC and I was going back to New Jersey and she, she was so wonderful. Um, mm. First off, she sat next to me because she gave up her original seat so that a couple could sit together. Yeah. And at first, I was kind of annoyed. I was like, "Oh, damn! I thought I was going to have a free seat next to me." And then, uh, <laughs> but and then she you're like, was, "Wait a minute!" <laughs> that's why I kind of like recognized her a little bit. And I and you know, and we started talking. The first thing we talked about was because I'm from New Jersey. Was that uh, <laughs> she's like, "Oh yeah, my husband. So, you know, he's from New Jersey." And so, you know. so did you know at the time that her husband or you know who he was? Did you know it was Mark Kelly? I actually didn't know. Okay, it, wow. it, it was much more so, under the radar back then. And so, yeah, and she. She just she she downplayed it you know yeah yeah <laughs> he's currently in space at the moment you know i don't think she actually said that <laughs> yeah she really buried the lead there huh she did she right. failed to mention that he's an astronaut and he's not even on earth at the moment mm-hmm. so what is our clue next week and hopefully not another astrological sign because <laughs> yeah. i mean give me some time i could come up with one uh, next week in 2004 the clue is musical chairs okay 2004 musical chairs i have an idea like of the kind of category that could be. I'm actually going to see if I can get this one. <laughs> okay. Next week in 2004, Musical Chairs. If you think you know what that's about, give us a tweet with the hashtag this week, SF, and good luck. I guess this might be the last time we talk about opportunity. So we are officially saying goodbye. So last week we had mentioned it uh, in many weeks prior to that. Uh, But this is the end, huh? This is like truly, truly the official end Mm -hmm. of the mission. So this is more of a recap episode. So I guess that's what we're going to focus on, the life of opportunity. The, The life and times of opportunity. And there were a lot of things going on. Quite the mission. So two important dates that we can start off with. I was launched on July 7th, 2003, and it landed July 25th, 2004. You know, so it's its mission began, you know, at the beginning of 2004. And like, that was before I was in college. <laughs> yeah, right. You think about where were you <laughs> back then? Yeah, a long time ago. It, to me, it kind of gets lost in the past because it's like, I, I feel like at that time that there were already a lot of rovers, but I guess that's not true. You know, what came prior to that? What's the one I'm... Pathfinder. Another Pathfinder, right. Okay. I think at that time, I probably got the two of those confused, Pathfinder and Opportunity. So contact was lost in June of last year. So it's been Mm -hmm. like eight months or nine months or so. So they've been Mm -hmm. trying for some time to establish contact. So it's not for lack of trying. Yeah, right. It was a global dust storm. that kind of, you know, engulfed it. And so they saw that it was losing power rapidly. And I figured, I mean, just because the term Tau is getting thrown around a lot, I just kind of want to say like exactly what that is and why uh, a Tau of 10.5 is so dramatic. The more general term for it, Tau is the little symbol, right, that we use for it, but it's called optical depth. And that is, uh, it's a dimensionless number that essentially is what you put up in the exponent to see how much light has been diminished, how much the flux has been diminished by something. 
in this case, mm-hmm. an atmosphere. So an optical depth of 10.5 means that you've got an initial flux coming in at the top of the atmosphere, and then e to the minus 10.5 is actually reaching the surface. So that's a huge drop. Yeah, we've seen the actual photos from the surface, and it pretty much looks like night or close enough to it. Mm-hmm. So what was the purpose of this whole mission? I don't know if it was explicitly stated, but it seems that this was more or less a geological survey type of a mission to learn about the surface of Mars. Some of its various goals were to characterize a variety of rocks and to determine the distribution and composition of minerals, rocks, and soils surrounding the landing sites. And I'm just reading that from Wikipedia. Perform calibration and validation of surface observations made by the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. So that's interesting. So I guess that's sort of like a little bit of Martian ground truth thing, I suppose you could say. Identify and quantify relative amounts of specific mineral types and to assess whether life might have existed or assess whether the environment might be conducive to life. So that's something that's mm-hmm. that's going to be carried on by, I guess, Mars 2020 and various missions in the future. And we've learned a lot since then. But uh, this was sort of like one of the, I guess like it might be one of the very first rovers who was like really able to do that because there was what was the first lander yeah the first was was mars three which stopped transmitting after 14 and a half seconds wow okay (laughs) damn technicality (laughs) it certainly seems to me that this was one of the very first rovers if not the first that really got some really good like geological data um there was pathfinder previous to that so i suppose that might have been the first but before that you know we had uh, a lander on mars it maybe took a little soil sample i think that that's what it did the vikings were uh i mean i'm sure they they had other things going too, but they're most well known, right, for the uh, searching for life specifically. Uh, they had a bunch of little experiments that they could do, basically adding nutrients to the soil and seeing if they were giving off the type of uh, byproducts if there was little microbes in there. But um, yeah, no, I I think as like yeah, maybe you think of it as opportunity was it wasn't the first kind of uh, analysis of mm. you know the Martian surface, but it was probably the first really big yeah. step function in terms right. of actual knowledge gained by in-situ analysis of Martian rocks and soil. So in 2005, there was a close call. So what was that close call exactly? Because uh, I think a lot of listeners might not be familiar with it. Well, first also, um, I just want to point out, I realized none of us have actually mentioned another kind of Gemini pairing, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Opportunity, part of the Mars Exploration Rover package, is had a twin that landed on the oh, other yeah. side of Mars, Spirit. And when they landed, Spirit didn't survive quite as long as Opportunity. Uh, but Opportunity almost had a close call and could have been done after only, what, about a year and a half on the surface in what would have been a, such a tragic way to go. Essentially, it was just crossing a dune and it had been crossing dunes, right? It landed in a kind of open plains kind of area because after all, there was probably once liquid water on the surface there. And that's why you had that sort of, you know, flat plains. And just this one dune seemingly out of nowhere just kind of buried half of its it got half of its wheels buried in the martian sand essentially and to get out of there they didn't want to just basically spin the wheels and kind of force it (laughs) you can imagine bad things might happen if you do that so they basically just had to slowly inch their way out and the way they were doing it was they would send commands they would tell they would instruct the rover to kind of try to turn you know 
its wheels to 20 meters, and they'd end up getting, in response to that, just uh, 1 to 10 centimeters of actual motion. And so they just kind of spent weeks slowly kind of extricating itself from the sand and uh, got out there eventually. But that would have been, you know, because, right, the big thing is that was a long time ago, and we were lucky enough to get another decade of science out of opportunity since then. Yeah, I, I wonder what that looked like, because... You know, it's got six wheel, all wheel drive. What does it look like to have six wheels turning slowly and just slipping most of their turn? You know, like. Well, it's kind of remarkable that with that kind of ratio of, you know, like slippage there, that it would have traveled uh, 177 meters, but it just made 93 centimeters. That's such a huge difference that I don't know how it didn't get itself like buried just like you would if you were in your car and you tried to do that. It seems like mm-hmm. it just would have gotten itself stuck even further. Yeah, it seems like the very edge of possibility, right? Yeah. So, the, I mean, this, this is like a nice, like, you know, it's not a terribly, you know, it wasn't trying to go over a very steep, like, Saharan desert-style dune. Yeah. From what I understand, they kind of never were able to figure out what the heck was up with that particular dune that hated Oppie, evidently. So, uh, one other th- thing that I thought would be an interesting way to look at this is uh, Wikipedia has got an, an excellent section in the Opportunity article called Superlatives, and there'll, there'll be a link in the show notes, but they have, uh, I think three or four. And then I, I added at least one. And then, uh, Dennis, I think you added another one. So, right. So originally this wasn't so much a superlative, just, uh, yeah, I figured it's, it's a big number. So I figured we could, move okay. it in there. <laughs> uh, so first, uh, over a thousand commands were sent to try to reestablish communication during those, what, nine months of silence, uh, mm-hmm. a thousand attempts is, is pretty dramatic when you think about how expensive, you know, in terms of like opportunity cost, uh, opportunity cost alone. I mean, like forget, forget dollars, how expensive it is to use the deep space network. Uh, here's another good one in March, 2016, while trying to reach uh, its target on the slope of marathon Valley in Cape tribulation, it, it climbed a slope of 32 degrees, the highest angle yet for the Rover since its mission began. And probably, for any rover on Mars so far. I, th- I think yeah. 32 degrees is pretty steep. It's so steep that the accumulated dust on its uh, solar panels began to flow downward. <laughs> that <laughs> Isn't is that pretty... insane? <laughs> I love that. 32 degrees. That's that's like, hey, guess what? You're going to tip over if something goes wrong. Like that, mm-hmm. that. You know, and obviously they they you know know those numbers very well. Like they know exactly how steep of an angle they can climb but that's just that's kind of mind-boggling that would have been a really cool thing to watch on soul 3894 which is january 6th of 2015 opportunity reached the summit of cape tribulation that's 443 feet or 135 meters above botany bay and it's the highest point yet reached by the rover. They say yet reached. It, it was the highest point, I believe, that the mm-hmm. rover reached. It's on the western rim of Endeavor Crater. So 443 feet of a climb up the side of a crater rim. And Endeavor with, Crater, that's that's the big one that it visited. Yeah. I mean, it visited, a like, I don't know, half a dozen, dozen different craters. But Endeavor was the big one that it spent. Yeah kind of the end of its you know career well six years or so yeah and i mean like this is a rover that we couldn't talk to directly right you know there's minutes of delay between us and it you know Mm -hmm. at at the best of times and it's like we gave it commands every day you know we did our Mm -hmm. research 
did you know scouting from orbit basically and did our best and we were able to move this thing such a huge distance across uh the the face of a different planet so speaking of distances the final distance it traveled was 45.16 kilometers what what a tribute to the teams that worked on this i mean i can't think of any better way to to honor the work that these folks have done than than reading these numbers it's also kind of amazing to think that it had taken that many years i mean it does because it's such such precise work because you don't want to get stuck. I, I pulled out a calculator. It's about three kilometers a year. Mm. And that's wow. doing science the whole time. You know what I mean? It's not like they were just kind of, let's just gun this thing and see how much we could cover, right? Well, yeah, well, right. obviously. <laughs> it would be an interesting idea to send a rover to Mars just to set some kind of a distance record. I mean, I don't know why you would do that, but... <laughs> It'll happen know. eventually. Right. Once you get more commercial things going. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it basically... That's like multiple missions, right? You, mm -hmm. you could have had, you know, usually, yeah, if you wanted to check out a different site, you know, usually you send another mission to that other site that you want to check out. So that's why, you know, Spirit was checking out Gale Crater, I think, is where Spirit went. And, uh, but yeah, Opportunity kind of did the work of multiple landers because it got to cover such a extensive amount of Martian terrain. I think we kind of hit up the last superlative that was listed. I mean, that really, that really speaks to how impressive your mission is when it can have an entire section mm -hmm. on you know wikipedia entry that's just mm -hmm. superlatives <laughs> yeah yeah uh exceptional accomplishments but also like exceptional love i mean like people really identified with this vehicle and that's really cool so uh another little thing here that i i really like is that the rover's batteries um you know batteries f fade as you go on their capacity mm -hmm. diminishes and uh, Opportunities batteries were still at 85% capacity um, when we lost contact. And that's, you know, better than most phones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. That's much better. <laughs> I, I, th I think a phone's batteries, like, it doesn't matter if you use it or not. It's only good for about two years or so, and then it just won't hold a charge. Yeah. It's just going to mm -hmm. break down. Yeah. And Opportunities batteries are lithium ion. It's not like they're made out of unobtainium. Like, it's, you know, a, a common technology, just very well shepherded and very well constructed and the battery life was cited as being a major part of the reason that we had so much success with this mission was just you know very 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 good construction so one of the things that uh, I've seen on Reddit and I, I thought about grabbing all the questions I was seeing on Reddit and seeing if we could answer them uh, but they ended up being very repetitive and it just Yes, Sam in the chat says, if I had a guy whose entire job was to maintain my phone's battery life, it probably would last a good while too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so on, on Reddit, there were a lot of people saying, oh, well, if the rover's dead, why didn't we do X? And why didn't we do Y? And did they think about Z? And of course, the answer to those questions is almost always yes, absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so I, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about why the rover ended up dying because uh, it lost power from the sun, but then the sun comes back and, you know, why can't we pick up where we left off? And of course, you know, the, the possibility is always there that it's just, you know, you subject a machine to uh, a vigorous sandstorm and something can break, you know, um, mm -hmm. the, you know, obviously the, the wind doesn't 
transmit very much energy, but there's lots of sand and, you know, it's basically sand getting blown around at, at ridiculously high speeds and you can, you know, abrade all sorts of things and you can get sand in places it shouldn't be. But there's one particular issue that may have been what ended up killing the rover. And this is really interesting. So very, very early on in the mission, we found out that one of the heaters in the robotic arm got stuck on. We couldn't turn it off. And that potentially was going to kill the mission before it you know, got very far at all. Because um, what would happen is you'd go into nighttime with you know X amount of battery life and you would run out of battery before the sun came back up. Uh, or, you know, best case scenario, you would just limit all of your operations because, you know, you're always dumping power into heat. And I, actually, that, that is what happened. I mean, that's kind of the best case and the, the extant scenario. Um, but to get the rover to survive overnight with this, with this battery drain, this constant battery drain, they developed a new sleep mode. This is so cool. So originally, you know, sleep mode would turn off a bunch of stuff, but it would keep part of the rover awake and it would, I, I, I'm assuming keep the batteries warm and that kind of thing. What they ended up doing was developing a deep sleep where it actually, since it couldn't turn off that particular heater it would turn off its power upstream, which means that it had to turn off a lot of other systems, but they would put the rover into this deep sleep at night and it would just shut down pretty much everything in order to be able to not have this heater running. And they, they did that every night for the life of the rover. And the thought is that as it dropped power during this the sandstorm it got to the point where its power was so low that it actually ended up resetting its clock and if that happened then the rover wouldn't know when nighttime was coming and it wouldn't know when to go into deep sleep mode which means that this battery drain uh, from or the heater could just drain the battery. And so the rover may be in perfect working condition, but just not have enough battery to be able to wake up, which seems very handy for abandoned Martian astronauts uh, who have been left behind by their team to have a fully functioning <laughs> rover that just needs you to hook up a little bit of power. It's kind of like we're putting a little... Uh, safety cache up there for a future Mark Watney to use. Yeah, that also just highlights, again, another close call from the very beginning. Yep. Time to do some short and sweet. We got three of them, uh, and I'll do the first one. So 14 more days of night. The Chang'e 4 lander and U-2 rover entered sleep mode about 24 hours before sunset in the Von Karman crater this Monday and will resume operations on February 28th. The current U-2 rover has been improved over the previous one from the Chang'e 3 mission, giving it a three-month lifespan. The original U-2 rover was immobilized only in its second lunar day, uh, though it did continue to gather useful information for a total of 31 months. If its first lunar night is any indication, the Chang'e lander and rover will see temperatures as low as negative 190 degrees Celsius or negative 310 degrees Fahrenheit. So, very, very low. RS-25 testing resumes at NASA's Stennis. NASA will resume testing this week on the RS-25 development engine 0525 at the Stennis Space Center. The previous hot fire test two months ago, test 1036, was manually ended just 30 seconds after ignition when a fire due to a leaking transducer was observed around the engine powerhead. 
As a result, this week's test 1037 will incorporate some of the secondary objectives of the previous test in addition to its own. The SLS will fly with four RS-25 rocket engines in its core stage, which will operate at higher thrust, higher pressure, and lower temperature than during their use on shuttle. And finally, NASA officials downplay government shutdown's effect on JWST's launch date. Prime contractor Northrop Grumman recently completed a series of successful acoustic and vibration tests of the James Webb Space Telescope's spacecraft bus and sunshield, simulating the environment JWST will experience during its launch on an Ariane 5 rocket. These tests continued through the 35-day partial government shutdown in December and January, and NASA officials have now said that while other programs were affected, their preliminary assessment of the situation suggests that the shutdown will not have affected JWST's launch date. That's good. It's got enough good news things yeah. affecting it. It doesn't need the shutdown to help. <laughs> Questions, comments, and correction burns. Got a couple things to announce. Uh, first up is an RPG night. So Yay. we did this, I think, one time before, two times, or I think uh, just once. No, I think twice. we did two or three of them, but it was like a year ago. I mean, it was way too long ago. Yeah, uh, we need to do this again. So we have scheduled our next RPG night for Friday, March the 8th at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. And um, just like before, uh, we're going to be playing a game called Lasers and Feelings. It is such a fun little game. Basically, it is a Star Trek uh, ripoff game where we are going to lean heavily into some of the most cliche tropes of science fiction. To build a character, you basically need a name, like a class, and then you pick one stat is all you have is is your one stat is your lasers and feelings. Uh, you either more lasers or more feelings, which gives you a better chance to um, succeed on different types of roles. This is truly such an easy, easy game to play. The story really uh, is up to us. Um, I have a really fun uh, episode. We, we call them episodes because it's very Star Trek-y. I have a, a great episode story, and then you guys are probably going to throw it completely off the rails. It's, <laughs> it's just super, super, super fun. And if you've never played an RPG, you're totally well-equipped to come play this one. If you've never played one of our Lasers and Feelings stories before, doesn't matter. You're still well-equipped to come play. Um, so, so please do um, come play with us. Uh, the game is open to $5 and up Patreon supporters. If you are in a position where you cannot contribute to our Patreon, uh, but you are interested in playing, seriously, join, get access for one month. I mean, please let you know the end of the month go by so that you uh, your payment goes through and then just unsubscribe. It's totally okay if you want to just do one month in order to mm -hmm. have access to this. Um, and uh, so anyway, there's a post on our Patreon feed um, with instructions on how to get into our Discord, uh, our rules sheet, and then also a link to our Google Calendar. Um, so you can put, you know, just one click, put that on your uh, on your Google Calendar if that's how you use it. Oh, guys, it's going to be so good. Um, I'm yeah. really excited for this one. The first RPG that I'd ever played was this one because um, I just, well, I guess that's not technically true, but the first one that's more like a and d style one, you know, with those kinds of rules, kind of, um, mm -hmm. this was the first. So I think if I can do it, then anyone can. <laughs> yeah, 
there there's no pre-knowledge that you need to get into this right Mm -hmm. yeah so you just kind of like learn as you go along but it's fine because it's just for fun uh no big deal and to be honest i do like the storytelling aspect of it like more than anything because i think that that's interesting and that's what sticks in your head and that's what makes it truly fun yeah because Mm -hmm. i just like stories and i like science fiction and that's the cool part and and this one has a two hour time limit on it it's built into the story we're not going to go beyond two hours (laughs) uh we'll we'll probably go a little bit beyond two hours because we'll have some you know a little bit of wrap up at the end but Um, okay so we ready for the t-shirt giveaway yeah so what t-shirts are we giving away yeah uh so that's a great question david i don't i don't really know um so (laughs) um i i think it's going to be the users or the the winner's choice out of the tom collection and we'll you know, obviously wave our, our kickback on this one because, uh, the, the giveaway is actually coming from Michael who runs SFSF. Um, he's, he's doing the giveaway. Um, so we're basically going to tell him who to, who to give a shirt to. Um, so, uh, yesterday I posted a tweet and I said, okay, if you retweet this, uh, you'll be entered in the drawing. So I have, uh, on random.org, everybody who retweeted it, um, I don't see anybody who needs to be disqualified because I don't think any of these people have won something from us before. And I don't see any uh, any relatives uh, or, you know, Dennis's name in here. So let me, yeah, right. <laughs> so let me let me hit randomize here. And our winner is the real Rich Nez. So let's see. His uh, expanded name is Richard N. Uh, congratulations, Richard. You will have already gotten a private message from me and we'll, we'll get you your t-shirt. So, uh, if you didn't win, but you would like a t-shirt, please go check out sfsf.shop slash support hyphen Tom. We will get $5 from every t-shirt that you buy. I'm like, I think $2 if you buy a sticker or something. The money is is not super important. What is important is supporting a fantastic artist and uh, getting a new design for our personal uh, merchandise store. And uh, yeah, I've had so many people go and just like message us on Twitter and say, hey, these are really good designs. I'm like, yeah. I know that's why we're doing this. Yeah. Um, so even so if you're not, yeah, I was going to say, even if you're, you know, maybe not thinking, Oh, I don't really want to get a shirt or anything. Just check out the designs and they might be good enough. Like mm-hmm. they're so awesome. You might, you might change your mind. Yeah. yeah. And, and do subscribe to his newsletter. Cause he does a 24 hour t-shirt every two weeks, I think. And it's just like really mm-hmm. good designs. Um, I'm, I'm trying my hardest to convince him to, pick up and use Twitter again. Cause he's got a Twitter account. He just hasn't tweeted for a year. And I've been like, Hey, you need to, when you put up these 24 hour teas, you need to tweet about it. Cause nobody subscribes to newsletters. Like it just, <laughs> you're going to get a few people, but only the hardcore people. I'm like, mm-hmm. come on, post them on Twitter. I will retweet all the spacey ones. Let's get this going. So I may just start tweeting links. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> just like, hey, let's get this out there. Because some of the designs uh, are really cool. They're only available for 24 hours, which is insane. And they're so cheap that like he basically makes uh, a couple of bucks off of each one. I mean, he really doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't make a lot. So there we go. Uh, that's our t-shirt giveaway awesome let's move on then to upcoming launches we just got two of them and what's the first one yeah so first up is a falcon 9 block 5 flying a couple of uh interesting uh satellites so new Satu is part of indonesia's 
um, geostationary communications um, network. Um, it's also known as PSN6. So PSN, I think, is probably more familiar to me anyway. We've talked about those before. Um, also on board is GTO1, which is a rideshare package containing two different satellites. First is S5. Let's talk about the, the slightly more boring one first. So S5 somehow stands for Space Situational Awareness. It's an Air Force mission, so they you know can name them whatever they want, I guess. Um, but basically, it's going to be detecting and locating near-geo uh, space objects uh, for, quote, routine and frequent updates to the geo catalog that's that's pretty cool so this is like a situational awareness kind of uh military thing and then the other part of that package is called Bearsheet, and this is space il's lunar lander i i thought it would never fly um even though they've been the you know kind of the most promising uh group who are running for the um the lunar X, X yeah the lunar X prize there you go um you know which obviously got canceled but they they kept pushing so uh Israel is sending a, a lander to the moon which is pretty cool so yeah that's all, all of this cool stuff is going to be flying on february well, hopefully is going to be flying yeah. on february 22nd and so it looks like they might have an instantaneous window um if you're going to the moon probably and that uh, launch attempt is going to happen at 01.45 hours UTC. The next launch is Soyuz STB with a frigate upper stage, and that is launching six of the OneWeb satellites, the first six, I think. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, these are, you know, like obviously intended to provide global internet broadband service. Is this the very first or was there like one experimental one? I think they did an experimental launch, right? Yeah, but these are the first six of the actual 900 microsatellite constellations. So, yeah. wow, this is like the beginning of it. And now, and now they just have a uh, 894 more to go <laughs> it's a modest start yeah so this is launching from kuru it looks to be an instantaneous launch window at 2137 utc so um, that's something that you can totally watch this is kind of cool like this is the first of those satellites i mean mm -hmm. I, I don't know that's kind of that's kind of neat because i keep thinking what's left to do before this happens but mm. this is the beginning of making that a real thing yeah and i assume they have some you know i don't know if like they're ground stations per se but some kind of like receivers on the ground they can actually make this useful right now although i don't know if they're going to be providing any kind of service because six satellites obviously is not going to be very right. good. So <laughs> I guess it might be some time still. Yeah, six satellites is not very much. And the, the real innovation here is going to be the receivers, like you said. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we don't we don't have pizza box size receivers yet. So <laughs> alrighty. Well, those are your upcoming space flood events. And with that, it is time to deal with the show. And we would like to thank Ronald Jenkins and Tim Dodd for our music. We record live on Sundays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern. Thank you so much to our $5 and up Patreon supporters for joining our recording sessions and helping us make correction burns on the fly. If you want to support the show too, please leave us a review wherever you listen or visit the orbitalmechanics.com slash support for our Patreon campaign, affiliate links, and other resources. For more information on this episode, such as show notes and other links, visit our website at theorbitalmechanics.com. Be sure to check out our store for mission patches, t-shirts, and hoodies. You can talk about the show with other listeners on Twitter and Reddit, where Orbital podcasts on both, and you can talk directly to us by emailing info at theorbitalmechanics.com. All right, so that's it. We will see you next week on Orbit. Until then, later. Bye, everybody. See ya.